Welcome to Doctrine for Life with Dr. Joel Beakey. Today we hear the first part of Dr. Beakey's sermon on Matthew 2.11 on the theme of the wise men meeting Jesus. Much has been made of the visit of the wise men to the young Lord Jesus Christ. But in this text, what we discover is not just an historical event, but an historical event with profound implications for how we should be seeing Jesus, worshiping Jesus, and honoring Jesus with our own gifts. So as you listen, may the Spirit give you ears to hear and a heart full of love for the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear church family, this evening I want to bring you God's word from Matthew 2, Matthew 2, verse 11. These words, And when they, the wise men, were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. With God's help, we want to look at the wise men meeting Jesus in three thoughts. First, seeing Jesus with spiritual eyes. Second, worshiping Jesus with reverence. And honoring, thirdly, Jesus with gifts. Seeing Jesus, worshiping Jesus, honoring Jesus. Who were... The wise men. Well, the wise men, the word used here is a translation of the Greek word magoi, which literally means great ones. That's why sometimes they're called magi. And it's also the word from which we get the English word magician. Now we're told by an ancient Greek historian that the Magi were a ruling tribe of priests from the East. If you want a comparison, I suppose, you could think of the the Levites, a tribe of priests within the Israelites. Well, these Magi seem to have been descendants from a tribe of priests within the Medes and the Persians. And if you remember in the book of Daniel... It speaks a number of times about the law of the Medes and the Persians. Well, these were the men, the kind of men at least, who have made these laws, the Magi. And perhaps you also remember that Daniel himself is called a number of times the chief of the magicians, which is interesting. We don't know exactly how to interpret that and put it all together. But it may mean that these foreign wise men or magi would have heard in their past, even coming down from Daniel, that there was a Messiah to come, the king of the Jews. And certainly, if one of their own chiefs or head magicians named Daniel would have taught of it in the past, it could still have significance for them. But whether that's true or not, we don't know for sure. But all we know is that these magi 
heard a message, but also received a message that centered around the story of this baby born called the King of the Jews. Now, a lot has been written, I must say, about the Magi that is fictional. It's come down to us through pictures and imagination. And you know, it's always pictured as three, but we, nowhere does the Bible say there are three Magi. We don't know how many men were in this group. Uh, one tradition certainly is definitely wrong. They didn't visit Jesus in the stable in the first week or two of his life, but it was after he was moved into a home in Bethlehem for a while and before they went to Egypt. So we don't know if Jesus was a toddler. Maybe he was uh, one and a half years old even. But it was sometime between his birth and his second birthday when his parents had to take him to flee into Egypt. But the Magi, some probably months after Jesus was born, were led in a wonderful way from a foreign country east of Judea to Bethlehem. Most likely, the area they lived was somewhere in the general region known as Arabia. And the Lord met them where they were as Gentile astrologers, foreshadowing that Jesus would soon break down the walls between the Jews and the Gentiles to become the Savior of both. Now, as astrologers, they were interested in stars, and probably for religious purposes. And the Lord attracted their curiosity in his amazing providence through the means of a strategically placed star, which was probably at least somewhat miraculous. Spurgeon called it a luminous appearance in midair. Most likely, it was not a star from the distant galaxies, the way we think of stars, for they are large heavenly bodies that do not move rapidly to a person's view on earth. Some scholars think it was a comet or a meteor, but that doesn't seem realistic here. Others say it was a special creation of God, but we don't know, do we? We're probably safest by staying with Spurgeon's description as some kind of special apparition that God provided to these wise men. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter much, does it? Because it's not the star that's the focus of this story, but the Savior to whom the star led. But somehow, some scriptural prophecies of the coming Messiah the king of the Jews, have reached their ears, be it through Daniel, be it through more current sources. And the star or the light they saw provided some supernatural confirmation for them that the long-awaited king of the Jews had been born. And simultaneously, the Holy Spirit worked in their hearts a spiritual hunger for this king. So the Holy Spirit turned them from heathenistic idolaters 
who were foolish men in themselves, to wise men who began to ask spiritual questions about how to find the living king, how to find the living God. And the Spirit then appears to have led them many miles to Jerusalem to ask questions about this king. And when the Holy Spirit draws them to Jerusalem, he confronts them with Scripture for the second time, as you can read it in verses 5 and 6. And from there, through Herod and his so-called leaders, they are directed to Bethlehem. Now, this is a remarkable journey they've taken. And surely, the Spirit's work is in this journey. The Holy Spirit has wonderful ways to bring, as our forefathers used to say, either the Word of God to people or to bring people to the Word of God. Now, today we have the Word, so we don't expect or countenance all kinds of dreams and other visions, but there are many parts of the Muslim world today where people wake up in the middle of the night and they've had a dream and they've in their dream, they've either seen Christ with spiritual eyes on the cross or something happened that made them think about Christianity and the Christ of Christianity. And what has happened often, still now today, is that these people who've had no access to the Word of God, no special revelation, have a kind of interest sparked within them, a kind of hunger, and they begin to ask people, uh, could you get me a Bible? And then they get converted. So that kind of thing, this kind of wonderful providence, it's not like it's not happening at all today. But of course, we have a more sure word of prophecy in having the word to begin with. And that is a wonderful, stupendous blessing. Now, the Lord fulfills his promises. When he puts hunger in people, at the same time, he says to them, seek and you shall find. And he draws them to the truth because his ways are above our ways and certainly above the ways of these wise men. God brings them from a foreign country in an amazing way to the very place where Jesus was born to be among the few who saw Jesus as a little toddler. It's amazing. It's foreshadowing, again, that God is going to come, not just for Jews, but the Savior, the King of the Jews, is also going to be the Savior and the essence of the gospel for the Gentiles as well. Now, every one of you who's a true believer here tonight, you have your own story to tell how God brought you to this Savior. And the ways of God are marvelous with us too. Maybe the story is not quite as dramatic as this one, but maybe, maybe you had a father, maybe you had a grandfather that feared the Lord and, and broke from an unbelieving family and brought his family into the line of God's covenant truth, and you had the privilege to be born under the truth and the privilege to be grow up in a, in a Christian home with Christian education and, and a Christian church, and, and God used this sermon or, or, or that teaching or, or that classroom or, 
or a combination of things to, to bring you to the Messiah. You see, however it happened, it's always marvelous that God works in amazing ways, providentially, to lead you to a particular church or a particular point, a particular place where he brings you the word of God and changes your life and reveals the glory of the Redeemer to you. Can you say that tonight? Yes, by the grace of God, I too have my own story. How God brought me, unworthy me, to come and worship him, the born king babe of Bethlehem. So we don't end in the star tonight, but we end in the providence of God who leads us to the Savior in his wonderful salvific purposes. The star ends in Jesus. The star is ultimately all about Jesus. It didn't shine for itself. It's shown to direct sinners to him. It was his star. Every beam of it was directed to him and to his glory. It led the wise men to Jesus, and it stopped at Jesus, and then it disappeared. And so you see, every providential way that we admire We don't end in that way itself, but we end in the Jesus to whom it brings us. Now, in Jesus' day, of course, the New Testament wasn't written. Some people were brought in through the Old Testament. The canon wasn't closed, so Jesus did have some special ways. Sometimes it was through a miracle. Sometimes uh, it was through Jesus' direct preaching. But Jesus has ways to the end of time, to bring all the elect given to him by the Father so that they shall come to him and be saved. But it's also possible, of course, to have been brought to the very place where Jesus is, which today is particularly in his house of prayer, his favorite place, the corporate gathering of his people, and not to receive his revelation. And not be saved. What a solemn thing that is. Or actually to leave the place where he especially is. Like the rich young ruler. He left. Sorrowful, but he still left. Now, many people have asked, was, was the wise, were the wise men saved? Well, that's not the main point of this story either, but it's rather obvious as I unpack this story for you that that they were indeed, and they came to believe and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Unlike many other people who come into the presence of Christ and are not saved, these men truly worshiped Jesus. Now, that becomes obvious when you consider what they encountered when they arrived in Jerusalem. They had heard that the king of the Jews was born. They expected, don't you think, that the whole countryside would be rejoicing at the birth of of the new king of the Jews. But they get to Jerusalem and there's, there's no talk about it. And there's one disappointment after another. There's no royal birthday celebration in Jerusalem. No trumpets are sounding. 
No, no bells are toiling. No one's in the street leaping for joy over the newborn king. All they, all they receive in Jerusalem really was the scriptures, which were beautiful and encouraging, but the miracle is that there were few in Jerusalem who were believing those scriptures. And yet the wise men are undaunted. They said, where is he that is born? Not, is he born? We don't hear any talk about him. Is he really born? Is it just our imagination? No, where is he that is born? The king of the Jews. They're convinced he's born. You'd expect them to be discouraged, but they're not. You see, that's, that's a quality of faith. Faith presses on in the midst of difficulties. Faith overcomes the greatest obstacles. In fact, God matures our faith by teaching us to walk by faith and not by sight. There's a beautiful parallel, you see, to that here in, in spiritual life. When God convicts us of sin and strips away all our righteousness and convinces us that Jesus Christ is the one name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved, a seeking soul is absolutely convinced I must be saved in Jesus Christ alone. And that soul may be perplexed, perplexed about the way, perplexed because other people don't seem interested in finding him. And it can be a struggle to reach him, and often is. But yet such a seeker is certain this is the only, this is the sure, the true Messiah, the star of David. The son of righteousness is arising, you see, in his life. And he must have him. And the question is, where is he? How can I lay hold of him? There's an expectation. Expectation of faith. Expectation of finding him. Embracing him. Knowing him. And this faith of the wise men is not put to shame. The Lord connects a star in the heavens with the word of Scripture, which said he was in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. And it leads them directly to the very place where Jesus was. No one from Jerusalem goes with them, but that didn't seem to matter to them. Their faith didn't waver. And as they approach Bethlehem, only six miles from Jerusalem, we read in verse 9, and lo, that is, pay attention, notice the wonder, the star which they saw in the east, which apparently they hadn't seen for a while now, was before them. The same star. And this time it's doing a strange thing. The Bible says it went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now you know it's not a star in the heavens then if it came and stood directly over the place where Jesus was. So they knew the house where he was. So this is not something you can explain by mere natural causes. As astrologers, they had never seen a star do this before. They are amazed. They had heard in Jerusalem the word of Scripture that led them to Bethlehem. But where should they look in Bethlehem? Well, the star shows them. Now, God doesn't work that same exact way today, of course. We have the whole word of God. But based on the word of God, God can still use remarkable providences today in leading his people 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever been humbled by his providence in your life? Or you look back, perhaps you look back on this decade now, now ebbing away, and you say, if it weren't for that little detail or that little detail there or, or that detail over there, I never would have come in contact with that person who, who God used to, to lead me to Christ. You see, God's ways are, are just amazing. Now today, of course, we, we have the Word of God. The, the Bible is our star, as it were, that guides us infallibly by means of faith that the Bible brings us into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit, in using the Bible, often in wonderful ways, directs us to the very text of the very word he wants us to hear at that very moment. John Calvin says it so well. He says in every sermon, there's, there's two preachers. You remember me telling you this some time ago. The second preacher is the Holy Spirit who takes the word, puts it in his bow, and shoots that word, especially when the preacher lifts up the name of Jesus, and shoots that word to direct it to every heart according to every heart's need. And so it's in the house of God that we come into the house, as it were, where Jesus dwells. And this happy moment comes now when God fulfills his own promises. The seekers become finders. The seekers become finders. They walk into the house. The house of the king. And what do they see? Well, they don't see an economically prosperous king. They meet a humble, unpretentious family in a little cottage with no spoke special tokens of deity, with deity clothed and hidden. But notice, notice what they say in verse 11. They don't say, now where is the king? No, it says, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child. The emphasis is on the young child, you see. It doesn't say they saw Joseph and Mary and then, oh yes, there was a baby there or a toddler. No, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. This is amazing. This is amazing grace. Notice they saw more than the young child. They had spiritual eyes of faith. They understood the marvelous, marvelous providence of God that they had been brought into contact with the king of the Jews. They believed on the basis of Scripture what they had been told. They did not stumble at the poor surroundings. They trusted in the word of God, confirmed by the star. Now you don't have to doubt whether the spirit was working in them. The natural eye would have seen nothing but a normal-looking baby or a young toddler. There was no beauty in him that we should desire him by nature. But they received the spiritual eyes of faith to see beauty in the king of the Jews. The word of God is believed. They're given spiritual insight. They see the young child, the scepter of Judah, the Messiah, the king of the Jews. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? And hear the conversation. I, I would have. Imagine the joy in that cottage as they spoke together. Mary must have asked them, how did you get here? And they told the whole story. And then they must have said to Mary, well, 
How did you ever bear the king of the Jews? And she must have told her amazing story. They must have communed with each other. That the Holy Spirit drew them all to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that even, even these pagans came to understand that he is the king. And they worshipped him. They worshipped him. Thank you for listening to Doctrine for Life with Dr. Joel Beakey, a ministry of the Gospel Trumpet. Please consider supporting the broadcast of Doctrine for Life with your financial gifts. For more information on how to donate to this ministry and to download free booklets or audio files of previous broadcasts, please visit our website at gospeltrumpet.net. That's gospeltrumpet.net. William Ames said, Theology is the doctrine of living to God. May God write the doctrines of the Bible upon your heart so that you may truly live.